to keep that open in front of you. It will serve you well as we look at it together now. And let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you so much for uh, the variety and richness and depth of your words. Thank you for how we look at letters like Romans, carefully argued thoughts, uh, and then we see these wonderfully crafted accounts of of stories of, of, of massive events. Father, through this too, please, we ask that you would teach us and reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may know some statistics, things like uh, church attendance halved in the UK from 1980 to 2015. Uh, I heard this week that Scotland is on the cusp of being classed as an unreached people group. So few actually now are regularly going to church in Scotland. Church is, is on the decline Maybe you've experienced it more personally. Maybe you've prayed for a a loved one, family member, for 40 years. And they've yet to show the slightest bit of interest in the gospel. Perhaps equally, maybe in your office, your workplace. uh, Again, no one is a Christian and no one has any interest at all in talking to you about Christian things. The world is so big, we are so small, and at times I think we can fear and feel like, well, nothing's ever going to happen from a Christian perspective, from a gospel perspective. We go out, we pray, and we we try our hardest to bring up conversations. Things don't seem to go anywhere, and nothing seems to happen. And there are many reasons why we might feel like this, why uh, it can be a struggle for us. But the book of Jonah wants to assure us, wants us to be confident in God's mercy and grace. He he wants us to be confident that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and and that God has a heart for wayward souls. Again, there are many reasons which stop us from boldly going into the world, but, but Jonah wants to rule one out. He wants to rule out any thoughts that perhaps the the reasons why we don't see as much fruit as we like, we don't see people coming to Christ as we would like, isn't because God doesn't care. Jonah wants to show us that God does care, that God loves to save people. In fact, that's why we've called this, this series, which is a quote from Jonah 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. He wants us to be confident That God loves to bring salvation to his people. And it's revealed really in quite dramatic ways through the book of Jonah. If you're not familiar with the story, in one sense I envy you. It's great to be looking at these things fresh. Now I imagine most of us are familiar. It's one of the classic children's Bible stories. But actually, as we look at it again, we're going to see how time and again it's emphasized that God loves to save. The chapter begins, uh, the book begins, sorry, with with quite a common formula. This appears quite often through the Old Testament. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, the word of the Lord came to, this happens regularly through the Old Testament. 
it was the cue for God's messenger to hear the message and then set off to deliver the message. And this particular prophet, this particular messenger was Jonah. Uh, And again, just because this is a favorite of children's Bible stories, don't think that this wasn't real. Jesus referred to Jonah as a real man, a real person. He's only mentioned one other place in the Old Testament. Um, if, you're, if you're a kind of history person, you're trying to place this in your timeline. So roughly speaking, the first half of the 8th century BC. If that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry. A while back. A while back. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And see what he says in verse 2. God says, arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here's the first of the the two things we want to see that really work together this morning from these verses. The first one is that God is offended by rebellion. God is offended when people rebel against him. But God calls Jonah, he says, look, get up, go, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a, a quite a prominent city in those days. Get up, go to London, go to, to New York, go to Tokyo, go, go to this big, well-known city. It was one of the principal cities of ancient Assyria. Um, if you're, again, trying to place that in current days, so this is on the, the Tigris River, um, opposite the modern-day city of Mosul, if you want to kind of um, place that. And partly because of its size, it took days to walk around the city, but also because it's evil, it was known as that great city. That's how God described it. That great city. And the city, I say, was large, but it was known for its wickedness. It was known for its evil. It's something that the Bible makes plain a number of times through the Old Testament. It's also something that archaeology confirms. So they were well known in the ancient world for their brutality, for their cruelty. Um, Two two kings particularly, one was accustomed to tearing off the lips and hands of their victims. The the other flayed victims alive and made great piles of their skulls. Not pleasant people. Not a pleasant city. Now we're not told here the, the specifics of their particular evil. Just that this evil, as it were, has caught God's attention. Now, you will see that um, if you've if you got your eagle eyes on there, um, the footnote one there, that the word for evil can be described, can be translated as disaster or calamity. It depends on the context. And here, the context clearly indicates evil is right. But actually, so often those two things go hand in hand. Do they not? When you have a people, a nation, a group set on evil, set on rebellion against God, or how often calamity follows. God hates all sin. The Bible's clear. He hates all rebellion against himself. But there are some times in the Bible where a specific group of people have become so wicked that that God calls out this specific judgment upon them. The evil of Nineveh has incensed the Lord, and so he, he sends his prophet Jonah to send a message of judgment against it. God cares about the evil in our world today. It's not as though just God cares about his specific people. 
It's wonderful. He does care about us and he, he loves us and is focused on us. But, but no, the whole world is his. Every nation is his. And I imagine you, as you watch the news, we look at some of the atrocities, some of those evil acts going on, our, on in our world. But don't despair in that sense. God does care and he will bring ultimately judgment and justice. Now, for some people, for some regime, some nations, some cities, that may be a set time, predetermined time by God when he's going to act, step in and act. But for all, that will be when the Lord Jesus returns in his glory to judge the living and the dead. But you will notice that this book isn't called Nineveh. It's not called Nineveh. Now, now of course, the, the city, of is, city of Nineveh is the framework for which um, all these events are happening. But actually, this book is about one of God's prophets, Jonah. And really shockingly, it's not only Nineveh and their rebellion that is highlighted, but actually even more so, it's Jonah's rebellion that is highlighted. So let's look at Jonah's response. Verse 3, but Jonah rose. I'm just going to stop there. Good start, right? What did God tell him to do? Arise. Jonah rose. We're looking good. Ah. It looks as though he's going to do what he's told, but that's where his obedience stops. From here, we, we see actually, yeah, that, that, that ends there. Let me carry on now reading. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now we're going to hear from Jonah's lips in the following weeks. He knows full well that you cannot flee from God's presence. He made the heavens and the earth. Everything is his. You cannot flee from God's presence. But that phrase that we see there, it's a description of his complete rebellion. Not only does he want nothing to do with the mission that God has given him, giving him, he wants nothing to do with God himself. Let me read verse 3 again, and can you just spot the emphasis that's being highlighted here? He's been told to go to Nineveh. Verse 3, but, from Joan, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now people aren't quite sure. So I think my slides have gone wrong. We've got a picture there. Um, people aren't quite sure where, where Tarshish may be. Is there a map? Thank you. Uh, people aren't quite sure. Some people think um, Spain could well be. To be honest, it doesn't really matter. You, the, the point is you don't get to Nineveh by boat. Okay? Tarshish is kind of northeast from where he was. Northeast by land. No water in the way. Whereas no Jonah, he wants to go completely the opposite direction. God says go east. He's gone west. God says, get on your donkey or your feet or whatever, however he would have got there. 
Jonah goes, I'm getting on a boat. God says, go, go preach to the city of Nineveh. Jonah flees from God's presence. He's doing the exact opposite. Here is a definite and firm call from the Lord. There is no misunderstanding about what God was telling Jonah to go and do. But, but, but rebellion isn't rooted in ignorance. It's disobedience. Jonah completely ignored what God said. He, he was a man on a mission, but the wrong mission. Not the mission that God gave him. Now it's hard to imagine a beginning of, of a, a story that, that to the original readers would have just been so absurd, so crazy. In that world, if you had a king and they give a trusted servant a mission, a mission which is exactly in their field of work, and then that, that servant would to ever so casually just go in complete opposite direction, ignore them, that would be an absolute craziness. How much more so God? And not just any old servant, but his prophets. This is his work. Why? Why on earth was Jonah doing this? Well, certainly it wasn't the most appealing prospect. I very briefly described the city of Nineveh and what it was known for and what it was like. And in fact, no other Old Testament prophet was called to go to the city they were preaching against. So there were times when uh, Israel's prophets did indeed speak judgment against the nations, but they, they got to do so from, as it were, the safety of their own nation. Now, it's not a particularly appealing prospect to go into the mouth of the lion and tell them that God is going to bring judgment upon them. We are going to find later, I don't want to give up too, too much away at this stage, you're going to find later, actually, that it is a different kind of fear that kept Jonah from doing this. But it's a, a, a shocking start to this book. God clearly tells Jonah, his servant, what to do, and Jonah does the complete opposite. The complete opposite. But that's what sin is. It's, it's a rational mad, irrational madness. Trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. To, to, to live with no reference to him, paying no attention to what he says. Look, deep down, we all know you can't possibly run away from God. But we do it anyway. And then to compound, compound this, so many people in our world assume, well, that if I ignore God, well, he will ignore me. But again, we see both with the Ninevites and Jonah that God notices and he takes sin seriously. It's not, God is not just the God of Israel. He is God of the whole world and every single human being on this planet is accountable to him. God is offended by rebellion against him. But secondly, wonderfully, this isn't all we learn of God through this book. God goes after rebels. For what happens to Nineveh, we're going to have to wait till chapter 3. A little cliffhanger. Well, a long cliffhanger. But for now, just, uh, just for comment on them, I do want to note that a declaration of judgment was also an act of God's mercy. I mean, it's a really important point. That to, to declare God's judgment was coming was actually a, a, a great act of mercy. Because prophetic warnings were just that. 
They were warnings. They were, look, because of your wickedness, and if you don't change, this judgment is going to come upon you. It, it, it was like a final warning. It was saying, look where, this, where your rebellion against God is heading. It's heading to calamity. It's heavy, heading to devastation. Change, repent, change direction. And if you do, God may show mercy. So the very fact that God sends Jonah to go to Nineveh is a sign of God's grace, a sign of his heart, the sign that he is going after rebels. But again, that's Nineveh, we've got to wait. Today's Jonah. We, we see it so clearly even here from the start. You see, Jonah learns that when you try and run away from God, well, actually, you, ran, run, you run smack into him. There he is. There's Jonah. He, he's in his ship. He's heading to Tarshish. But God goes after him. Have a look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. What a vivid picture that is, isn't it? Might you, like you might try and hurl the javelin in sports day. I was rubbish at that. But you, like, like you hurl something. Well, that's the picture of what, what God is doing here. He's hurling this storm upon the sea. And it's, it's so fierce that even the ship is on the verge of breaking up. Uh, and that word um, threatened there in verse 4, um, when, it's, when it's used in conjunction with a, per, with a person, it has this idea of um, deciding upon or planning to do. So it's like this ship is, is plan- it's on board with God. He's planning to, to break up on the sailors. It's determined to do it. And again, we're meant to see the picture. In contrast to Jonah, God's prophet, you have the wind, you have the sea, you have even the ship fulfilling God's purposes while the prophet rebels. And the storm is is so big that even these seasoned sailors are are, are terrified. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. And then they try two things. Uh, Firstly, they they pray. So verse 5 goes on. Um, I've lost it. um, Sorry, there you go, verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his gods. You know, they're a diverse crew. They've got their own gods and, well, they all cry out to them. Maybe one of them will be able to step in and stop this storm. They also take action. Verse 5 goes on, and they hurled, as the word again, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So they're crying out to any god that might listen. They're doing all that they can, but no, nothing's working. And in all this, Jonah is on his mission to escape God. So the end of verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Jonah is doing absolutely everything he can to ignore God and the mission he's been given. But the desperate captain realizes that look, there's one last thing they haven't tried. One last person who hasn't cried out to their God. So verse 6, the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give, us a, give thought to us that we may not perish. 
God hurls this violent storm to bring Jonah to his senses. But Jonah, as it were, sleeps through the alarm. So God uses this captain. And I don't know if you, you spotted the similarities, but do you see what the captain says? Arise. We've seen that word before, haven't we? Arise. Call out to your gods. The word call there is, again, is the repetition of what God has said, said that Jonah should call out to the Ninevites. Jonah would, be, be smart, would have been spotting this. God is using this captain to, to remind Jonah of what he's called him to do. And the captain then asks the question that we're all thinking. What do you mean, you sleeper? What are you doing? What are you doing, Jonah, running away from God? Call out to him for mercy so that you don't all perish. And, and there's extreme irony here, isn't there? That You have this, this pagan sea captain pleading with a Hebrew prophet to pray to God, to pray to the Lord. It's a really sobering thing. It's really sobering to see Jonah's rebellion. But it's also really heartening to see God's grace as he goes after rebels. He hurls the storm. He sends the captain. Despite Jonah's rebellion, God is not done with him. That's who God is. God loves his sinful people too much to let them keep running forever. He, he pursues them. He goes after them in order to turn them back to himself. It's what God did with the, the Ninevites. It's what God does with Jonah. It's what Jesus did when he came, as Mark referred in his introduction. When Jesus came, he came to seek and save the lost. When at the right time, Jesus died for sinners, for rebels. The Lord Jesus sought the lost, pursued them. And that's what God does today too. You probably know the description of C.S. Lewis and his when he described his conversion, he described himself as the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. And he was kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. Rebels running away until God steps in, pursues them in his grace. And by his spirit, the Lord Jesus is doing the same thing today. He is still seeking and saving the lost. And we can have even more confidence than that captain, can't we? The captain said, look, cry out to God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give thought to us. Perhaps, maybe, it's our best hope. God's under no obligation, certainly, uh, from people who have rebelled against him. But God delights to show mercy. Salvation is from, belongs to the Lord's. For those who recognize God's chasing and stop running away from him, instead turn back to him, come to Jesus, well, it's not a perhaps. It's not a perhaps. It's a certainty. He will save any who come to the Lord Jesus. And again, how do we know that? Well, because he's shown his love. He's shown his commitment most clearly and most fully. As Stella highlighted in the, the children's item, he's shown it in the cross. Now, as we look out on our world today, and so few, it seems, seem to be responding to the gospel, 
where we feel so small and the world seems so big and it can be overwhelming and daunting, but don't let the idea that, well, God doesn't really care and he isn't really doing anything, don't let that hold you back. No, salvation comes from the Lord's. God's people, as we, we go, as we commission to make disciple makers, we do so confident in that, that God loves a lost world and is seeking and saving the lost even today. So personally come to him and let's call others to come to him too. Now, this is only the start of seeing it, the, the, the really preview um, and over the following weeks, we're going to follow through this story and see how God's heart for Jonah and for Nineveh and indeed the sailors on their ship too. Salvation belongs to the Lord's. May God drum that into our hearts and our minds through this summer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we... Thank and praise you for even this, this little snapshot as we get into this book of your heart for rebellious sinners. Father, we thank you that when the Lord Jesus came, he came to seek and save the lost, to search out the lost sheep. We praise you that he's still doing that today. And as we look at the book of Jonah through this summer, please again, would our hearts be drawn to you? Would we see you more rightly and fully? You'd encourage us in the work that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.